Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of Mark. We invite you to join us at 1 Oakley Avenue in North Providence, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented to you by The Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day. Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study. I want to thank everyone for coming out tonight to get a portion of God's Word. Amen. Amen. First and foremost, I'd like to thank our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, tonight. All glory and honor goes to our risen Savior. We're so grateful and thankful that he opened our eyes, gave us a new life and a new purpose, and a new opportunity to serve him in the spirit, not in the flesh. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us and doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. We're grateful for that. We're grateful for the core of this ministry that keeps it going, one body, many parts. We all need each other for this to function properly. You know who you are, and we're grateful for each and every one of you. If you have a cell phone, please silence it so it doesn't disturb tonight's study. And we'll start with a word of prayer. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and Creator, Thank you for giving us this beautiful day and this beautiful opportunity tonight, Lord, to gather together again, Lord, to worship, honor, and glorify you, Lord, and learn more and more about you, Lord, and make your ways our ways, Lord, as we crucify our flesh each and every day, Lord, and become servants for you, Lord, and become givers instead of takers, Lord. We're just so grateful that you've chose us, Lord. We didn't choose you, you chose us, Lord, and we're just grateful that you opened our eyes, Lord. Thank you for your matchless grace and tender-hearted mercies, Father, that begin afresh every day. For without that, Lord, we wouldn't be able to go forward and carry your will for our lives, Lord. Help us to live lives worthy of the call, Lord, and bring others into your kingdom, Lord, by glorifying you, Lord, by living lives worthy of the call, Lord, being obedient servants for you, Lord. Thank you for that, Lord. I pray for the people that are not here, that are sick and suffering, Lord, that you let them realize that everything you do is part of your plan, Lord, to bring them closer to you and make them like the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord. Let them see you in everything and let us see you in everything, Lord, as we go through our lives on this journey and this mission, Lord, to bring people home to you, Lord. And let everything we do tonight be led by your spirit, Father, and not our flesh. And it's in Jesus' mighty name that I pray. Amen and amen. All right, we're going to stand. Brittany's going to come up and sing, worship the Lord.
long, isn't it? <laughs> Thanks, Brett. Good job. It's always good to worship our God, hasn't it? He's awesome. How's everybody doing tonight, all right? I'm glad I'm here. It's a little chilly out there, right? A little toasty in here, though, huh? Nice, nice, huh? <laughs> Keeps us nice and warm. Thank you, Jesus, right? As always, as we go into the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit will be taking over, so please prepare your hearts and clear your minds to receive the message the Spirit is trying to say to the church tonight. Amen? All right, go with me to Isaiah chapter 54. We're going to start there tonight as we continue our study in the book of Mark. Isaiah 54, I'm going to back up a little bit there. We're going to go to verse 4. Isaiah 54, verse 4. Fear not, you will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid, there is no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth. You, <laughs> get that in there. And the sorrows of widowhood. For your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. Amen. He is your redeemer. The Holy One of Israel, the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you back from your grief, as though you were a young wife abandoned by her husband, says your God. For a brief moment I abandoned you, but with great compassion I will take you back. Amen? That's the Lord. That's the God of the Bible right there. In a burst of anger I turned my face away, for a little while, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Just as I swore in the time of Noah that I would never again let a flood cover the earth, so now I swear that I will never again be angry and punish you. Thank you, Jesus. For the mountains may move and the hills disappear, but even then my faithful love for you will remain. My covenant of blessing will never be broken, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. O oh, storm-battered city, troubled and desolate, I will rebuild you with precious jewels and make your foundations from lapis lazuli. I will make your towers of sparkling rubies your gates of shining gems, and your walls of precious stones. I will teach all your children, and they will enjoy great peace. You will be secure under a government that is just and fair. <laughs> Not right now. <laughs> it's coming, though. <laughs> Your enemies will stay far away. You will live in peace, and terror will not come near. If any nation comes to fight you, it is not because I sent them. Whoever attacks you will go down in defeat. I have created the blacksmith who fans the coals beneath the forge and makes the weapons of destruction. And I have created the armies that destroy. But in that coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Big amen there. Those are benefits for people who serve the Lord. And their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. Amen. There's some power in that scripture, right? Isaiah 54, I, the Lord, have spoken. Powerful there. I got one for us. Go to Romans chapter 8. Amen. Romans chapter 8, one of my favorite verses, chapters. 
God been writing on my heart to share some of this here. Let's get on it. Let's see where we can go here. All right. Let's go to verse 10 or 9. All people are sinners. Well then, should we conclude that the Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. Huh? Oh, I'm Romans 3. What am I? Yeah, I know. Sorry. It looked like an 8. It was a 3. I guess my glasses, my gla my glasses are a little foggy here tonight. I'm saying, I, this don't look familiar. I'm saying, I'm, I'm digging this. <laughs> All right, sorry, guys. Right. Not a little grace tonight, huh? I need a lot of it. Okay. <laughs> All right, life in the spirit. Let's go to verse 1. I love this verse. So now there's no con condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen? The devil tries to condemn us all the time. There's no condemnation. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Amen. <laughs> and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Amen? He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead... Follow the Spirit. Look at verse 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, it says, but those who are controlled by it, by the Holy Spirit, think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting your spirit control your mind, letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. How about a big amen right there? Now look what it says in verse 7. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Here's the big Bible but here. Look at verse 9. But you are not controlled by your sin nature. You are controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin... The Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Just imagine what he's saying right here now. It says in verse 11 that the Spirit of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. It lives in each and every one of us. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Now look at verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Now you know it as well as I do. As Christians, our sin nature still urges us to do things that are against God's will. Can I get an amen for this? It, still, it says urges you. We get urges to do things that are not God's will. 
It tells us it, we have urges. Who doesn't get urges? <laughs> now look what it says. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit, listen, it says, but if you, through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all, listen to what it says now. I want you to understand verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So those who are not led by the Spirit of God are not children of God. Can I get an amen for this? We have to understand this principle. So you will not receive the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you receive the spirit, God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. It's a personal relationship with Jesus now. Abba, Father, please help me. My sin nature wants to control me, but I want you to control me instead. It's a fight every day. How many of us have a fight with that every day? It's a fight. It's a choice, though. He gave us the Holy Spirit, so we have no obligation to obey that sinful nature. Have a big amen for that. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his ears. In fact, together with Christ, we are ears of God's glory. Now, here it is right here. This is what most churches won't teach you. But if we're to share his glory... We must also share his suffering. suffering. You hear prosperity gospels all over the world where they say you come to Jesus, name it, claim it, it's yours. You'll live better than you did before. It says we must also share his suffering. You know it as well as I do. If you make a choice to serve Jesus Christ in this broken world right now, you will suffer for that choice. But our suffering glorifies our God. And it says in verse 18... Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Amen? For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. So we don't really know who his children really are. You see it? Only God knows our hearts. Against its will, all creation was subject to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. I'm going to big amen for that. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believe it's also grown even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For, as long, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. How many of us someday, Jesus, please, when are you going to come back? <laughs> right? Please, get me out of here. <laughs> we too, right? And we too wait for eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. How about an amen for that? Oh, boy, do I need a new body. <laughs> I, mean, I, I tell you, I get up in the middle of the night sometimes and go to the bathroom. It's like, oh, my goodness. Everything's all stiff again. You know, it's going to get like, oh, mm, mm, I need some grease mittens in my kneecaps. It's unbelievable. But this body's going to be shed, and we're going to get new resurrected, glorified bodies that won't have to suffer through sin and suffering anymore. We have a good, we have something to hope for, right? We have something to we have something better coming for us Christians. Amen? Amen. All right, let's go to Rome, um, um, Mark chapter 10. We're going to continue our study there. I remember, I believe we left off in verse 35. <laughs> yeah, I triple highlighted it and underlined it and put it in big cap letters. <laughs> so I didn't forget. <clears throat> That's all right. I only forgot chapter 3 was Romans chapter 8. <laughs> We're on uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 35. We're going to back up to verse 32 to keep the context.
Mark chapter 10, verse 32. It's funny, when we're in Bible study, like everybody's there and like, like this. On Sunday, when I go to a scripture, I got to wait like five minutes for people to find the chapter. <laughs> but when we're in Bible study, people are there in like three seconds because you know the Bible. Hey, Amen. There's a big difference there. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed, yeah. <laughs> it's like, bam. All right, you're there before me. <laughs> hey, everybody has a choice, right? What do you want to do? Yeah. All right, verse 32. They were now on the way up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe, and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Verse 33. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with the whip, and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. Now, you can imagine what they were thinking. Like, he's supposed to be our king. He's like, what do you mean, Jesus? What do you mean? You're going to, that's going to happen to you. No way. No, let me just reiterate on that a little bit. Jesus' death and resurrection should have come as no surprise to the disciples. Here, he clearly explained to them what would happen to him. Unfortunately, they didn't really hear what he was saying. Jesus said he was the Messiah, but they thought the Messiah would be a conquering king. He spoke to them of resurrection, but they heard only his words about death. Because Jesus often spoke in parables, the disciples may have thought that his words on death and resurrection were another parable they weren't astute enough to understand. Jesus' predictions of his death and resurrection show that these events were God's plan from the beginning and not accidents. Amen. Jesus knew from jump what was going to happen to him. He predicted it. All right. Jesus teaches about serving others. All right. We all need to get taught about serving others now, don't we? Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. All right, now, before I go on, Mark records that John and James went to Jesus with their request, and Matthew, their mother, also made the request. Apparently, mother and sons were in agreement and requested honored places in Christ's kingdom. Okay, the mother even requested this back in um, Matthew. In 36, verse 36, what is your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Wow, wow that's some big... <laughs> they had no idea what Jesus had to go through to be sitting on that throne, okay? Okay, let me explain something here, okay, before we go on. The disciples, like most of the Jews of that day, had the wrong idea of the Messiah's kingdom as predicted by the Old Testament prophets. They thought Jesus would establish an, early, an earthly kingdom that would free Israel from Rome's oppression. James and John wanted honored places in it. But Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. It is not centered in palaces and thrones but in the hearts and lives of his followers. The disciples did not understand this until after Jesus' resurrection. All right, in verse 38. But Jesus said to them, You don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering? I must be baptized with? Look what they said in verse 39. Oh yeah. oh, yeah, they replied. We are able. Then Jesus told them, You will indeed drink from my bitter cup 
and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. All right, before we move on to that now. In verses 38 and 39, James and John said they were willing to face any trial for Christ. Yeah, right. But both did suffer. James died as a martyr in Acts 12 too. And John was forced to live in exile in Revelations 1-9 on the island of Patmos. It is easy to say we will endure anything for Christ, and yet most of us complain about the most minor problems. How many of us complain about the most pettiest, minor problems? I hear it all the time in our own church. People complain about the stupidest, pettiest things. When we are going to be... We, you have no idea what we're in for if we're going to suffer for Jesus by being cold in here or, or, or anything outside the church. We are going to suffer. We might have to die for our cause. Never mind complain about little things around here. Can I get an amen for this? We should be focused on what's important. In fellowship and in unity in the spirit inside the church, loving, accepting, and serving, and willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to get the message out there and not complain for our comfort and convenience. It's not about our comfort and convenience. It's about getting his kingdom out there and getting people saved. We are supposed to endure suffering as a good soldier. Soldiers don't complain. They just work for the Lord. Can I get any men for this? Okay. So I don't want to hear any more complaining around here. about the pettiest things I hear. Please, grow up. Christians, grow up. We are going to suffer a lot more. If you can't handle the things around here, never mind really suffering when somebody breaks through the door and puts a gun to your head. You're going to complain? Oh, what happened to me? No. It's time that we get real and serious and understand the real reason why we got saved. Not to be comfortable and convenient, but to give up our lives as a sacrifice for our king. Amen. And whatever that takes is what we do. How about a big amen for that? Amen. Thank you. Now, it's easy to say we will endure anything for Christ, and yet most of us complain about the most minor problems. We may say that we are willing to suffer for Christ, but are we willing to suffer the minor irritations that sometimes come with serving others? Please. All right, verse 41. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. Now they got everybody in an uproar about what they were talking about. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man come not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Does anybody hear that scripture? Jesus came, he was the king of, he was God himself, and he came and washed people's feet. People come to church and want their feet washed, and their needs met, and them taken care of. So wait a minute, are you not hearing what the Bible tells us? It tells us we have to suffer for him, and whatever it takes. Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. I'm sure at night it was freezing. He didn't have nothing to cover himself with. He didn't say, oh, it's cold in here. I gotta get out of here. No, he just took it like he had to take it because God, it's the way it's gotta be. Can I get any amen for this? It's time to grow up and mature in our Christian walk so we can be soldiers for him, amen? Thank you. In verses 10, 42 to 45, James and John wanted the highest position in Jesus' kingdom. But Jesus told them that true greatness comes in serving others. Can I get an amen here? Peter, one of the disciples who had heard this message, 
expands the thought in 1 Peter 5, 1-4. Busyness, organizations, and institutions measure greatness by personal achievement. In Christ's kingdom, however, service is the way to get ahead. The desire to be on top will hinder, not help us. Rather than seeking to have your needs met, look for ways that you can minister to the needs of others. All right, in verse 45, this verse reveals not only the motive for Jesus' ministry, but also the basis for our salvation. A ransom was the price paid to release a slave. Jesus paid a ransom for us because we could not pay it ourselves. His death released us from all, from all, of, all of us from our slavery to sin. The disciples thought Jesus' life and power would save them from Rome. Jesus said his death would save them from sin and even greater slavery than Rome's. He says, it's, we're more of a slave to sin than we are to people. More about the ransom is found in, in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Okay? In verse 46, we're going to read that right now. Jesus heals blind Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus. Then they reached Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Wow. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder. <laughs> Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bottomus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. Now, we've been studying faith for a while on Sundays, right? What heals us? Not our works, not our serving the church, not our doing all these good things for God. It is our faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You could come to church faithfully, religiously, read your Bible, serve the poor, serve the people, serve everybody. But if your faith is weak, it does not please God. Our works don't please God. Our faith does. The things we do for God is because of our faith. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Because we have faith in him, what do we do? We lay our life down and we serve him. Because our faith has healed us from ourselves. It healed us from our sinful ways and our selfishness. Because if it wasn't for that, we'd still be stuck in ourselves. Now, how do you know? Because when you make a decision to go out there and help somebody in need, when you go serve, because you know it's not about me anymore, it's about him. And most of the time, you can't read the Bible or tell people about Jesus. So the next best thing is to be like Jesus. And go out there and heal people. And give people what, what they need out there. And let them see Jesus working through you. He doesn't see Jesus working through you inside the church. You see Jesus working in you outside the church. We get the ammunition and, the, and the, what we need. And all we need. And, and the power we need to go do that out there. We don't sit here taking in. Then go live our lives for ourselves. We become soldiers in God's army. He gives us an ultimate purpose while we're here. A sense of purpose is what satisfies us. So you don't get bored. You know, and you sit here and you know, I've been doing this. I don't want to hear this message again. I don't do No, because you're not doing anything what you're learning. You should never be bored. You should be getting more and more and more fed so you can do more and more good. So you can really represent Jesus properly. That is why we do it. Because our faith has healed us. 
Healed us from what? Our selfish sin nature. It's all about me and my comfort. When the rest of the world is broken and in need of a savior. Jesus says, I'm going to make you my disciples, so I'm going to work through you to represent me. Can I get a big amen there? Okay. So we understand why we got saved here. This church is going to grow to the point where it grows so it helps other people and not just sit here and get fat and never give birth. Okay. I mean, verse 46, before we go on, Jericho was a popular resort city rebuilt by Herod in the great in the, great in the Judean desert, not far from the Jordan River crossing. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem in verse 32, and after crossing over from Perea, he would naturally enter Jericho. Beggars were a common sight in most towns because most occupations of that day required physical labor, Anyone with a crippling disease or disability was at a severe disadvantage and was usually forced to beg, even though God's laws commanded care for such needy people. In Leviticus 25, 35-38, blindness was considered a curse from God for sin. It tells us in John 9, verse 2. But Jesus refuted this idea when he reached out to heal the blind. Amen? So, it's not like it is today. People with physical disabilities, the government takes care of them. Back then, they were thrown to the wolves. They had nothing, they had no way, so they had to beg. And like there's people now today that don't get taken care of by the government. They fall through the cracks, right? Nobody helps them. And what? It falls on the church. It has to fall on the church to help them, right? To give of our lives to them because the government is only in it for themselves. They really don't care about them people. They're just in it to get votes, we're in it to help people and get their lives back in order again and help them. Too many people depend on the government and all they're doing is in it for what? Greed. To get votes. There's an agenda behind it. We do it because we love God and we love others. That's the only motive. We don't expect anything back. The government wants a vote back. That's what they want. A big amen there, right? All right, let's break into chapter 11. Chapter 11 of Mark. Oh, boy. We're making some ground here tonight. <laughs> All right. Verse 1. Jesus' triumphant entry. Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem. They came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. So Jesus already, they already, Jesus already knew what was going on, right? All right, before we go on, this was a Sunday of the week that Jesus would be crucified, okay? And the great Passover festival was about to begin. The Jews came to Jerusalem from all over the Roman world during this week-long celebration to remember the great exodus from Egypt, Exodus 12, 37 to 51. Many in the crowds had heard or seen Jesus and were hoping he would come to the temple. Jesus did come, not as a warring king on a horse and a chariot, but as a gentle and peaceable king on a donkey's colt. Just as Zechariah 9.9 had predicted, Jesus knew that those who would hear him teach at the temple would return to their homes throughout the world and announce the coming of the Messiah. All right, let's go to verse 3. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. Imagine what they must have said. How did he know there was going to be a... 
They still weren't, they still were clueless on this, you know, they still didn't understand. How did he know that? They were still scratching their heads about this. Because the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet, so they didn't know. What are you doing? Untying that coat. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, What are you doing untying that coat? They said that they said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Now, you think anybody else would have let them take the coat? They would have said, what are you doing? You can't have that. It's not yours. But they, they said it the way Jesus, when, they, when you do things the way Jesus tells you to do it, things happen and come to pass. That's just the principles. We do it God's way, not ours. All right? And then they brought the coat to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God, or Greek, Hosanna, an exclamation of praise that literally means save now. That's what it means. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And by the way, those leafy branches were palms. That's why they had Palm Sunday. That's right. <laughs> Just in case anybody didn't know that. <clears throat> Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. See, it said blessings on the coming kingdom. So some of them had an idea of our ancestor David. Praise God in the highest heaven. Psalms 118, 25-26 and 148.1. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple, after looking around carefully at everything, he left it because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. All right, before we go on now, the people exclaimed, praise God, okay? Because they recognized that Jesus was fulfilling the prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. They spoke of David's kingdom because of God's words to David in 2 Samuel 7, 12 to 14. See, they remembered the scriptures. The crowd correctly saw Jesus as the fulfillment of these prophecies. But they did not understand where Jesus' kingship would lead him. The same crowd cried out, crucify him, when Jesus stood on trial only a few days later. The same people. Okay? The ones who glorified him said crucify him. <laughs> That's how fast people switch. Exactly. <laughs> Lord, help us. <clears throat> All right, Jesus curses the fig tree. The next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in, the full, in full leaf a little way off, so he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, May no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. That's... <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll talk about that. We'll get, we're gonna, we'll get to it. Just hold on. <laughs> All right. Fig trees, right? A popular source of inexpensive food in Israel require three years from the time they are planted until they can bear fruit. Jesus' ministry was what? Three years. Three years right? Before the fruit of Jesus showed up, it took three years, right? Each tree yields a great amount of fruit twice a year, in late spring and in early autumn. This incident occurred early in the spring when the leaves were beginning to bud. The figs normally grow as the leaves fill out, but this tree, though full of leaves, had no figs. The tree looked promising but offered no fruit. Jesus' harsh words of the fig tree could be applied to the nation of Israel. 
fruitful in appearance only, Israel was spiritually barren. So the fig tree looked like it was beautiful and pretty, but it was, there was no fruit being produced. So we used it as a what? Like a comparison to the people. <laughs> Imagine. Yeah, there you go, right? Now, before we close, right? Jesus clears the temple. No more gentle Jesus, meek and mild in this one, right? When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace or from carrying merchandise through the temple. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called the house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. And if anybody knows what he's quoting, he's quoting Isaiah 56, verse 7, and Jeremiah 7, verse 11. It was predicted back then they were going to do that. That evening, Jesus and the disciples... Let, uh, other manuscripts read, they le after um, the disciples left the city, the next morning as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Then Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. That's the one right there. Our faith has to be strong in him, and there has to be no doubt in your heart. That's not that easy. It's easier said than done. We can say it. But God knows if you have any doubts in your heart. And if you have doubts in your heart, it won't happen. So then if something doesn't happen, you have to say, I must, be I must have doubt in my heart. Because the power is in the words. Unbelief, exactly. We see it, we read it, but do we really believe it? In our heart. It's all superficial, but in our heart, you have to believe it. And when you do, that's when you get the power. That's when you get the power, when you truly believe it. You can sit in church, read your Bible, come here and study, and nothing will happen until you truly believe what you're reading. And you have no doubts. And who, who can actually say they never had any doubts about this? Especially when the going gets tough in the Christian walk. Remember John the Baptist when he was in prison? He introduced the Messiah. What did he say? Go ask Jesus. Is he the one or should we go look for someone else? He introduced him. He's the one that brought him in. He's the one that introduced the Messiah. So you can't tell me that any of us here don't have them doubts. He had doubts too because he ended up in prison by introducing him and he got his head cut off. And nobody knows what's going to happen to you once you decide to serve him. You might get blessed. And you might get thrown into the fire. You don't know. But, blessed be the name of the Lord, like Job said, right? All right, so we're going to close there tonight. We're out of time. Where do we go? And we'll, go we'll pick up in verse, we'll go back to verse 22 when we get back together. We're going to close. Drew, you want to come up and close us? Yeah. Bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for this message, Lord. Thank you for the re revelation that you give us in your word, Lord. Every time we, we read it, Lord, thank you for the Holy Spirit that can convicts us and confirms, Lord, what your word is, is saying. And thank you for the truth that sets us free, Lord. I just pray that we all remain on that narrow path, Lord. Yes, Lord. Be with us and, and continue to encourage us, Lord. Let us put you first. Let us 
let us be all in with you, Lord, so things can start to make sense and set us free and clear clear our doubts, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. All right, thanks, Drew. All right, we're going to stand and close and watch a video.